Welcome to the Same Side Selling Podcast. I am your host, Ian Altman. Welcome to the Same Side Selling Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Altman. I know for our regular listeners, that's a real shock to you. Today, we're talking about SEO, search engine optimization. So we wanted someone who was really a master of this. And our guest today is Eli Schwartz. Eli led the SEO area for SurveyMonkey, and he's helped many businesses from small to large, and even what you may consider ginormous companies, really dramatically grow their business using SEO. He's the author of Product-Led SEO, a book that I'm actually not completely through with, but I've been reading, and it's a really interesting take on SEO that we can all learn from. So Eli, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me, Ian. You betcha. So before we dive into the kind of the, you know, what people should be doing, I want you to address what are the biggest mistakes that you see people make when it comes to SEO? So when I think about SEO and the potential for SEO, first of all, not enough people are aware of what that potential is. And it's literally uncapped. So you think about how much money companies like Google and Facebook are making from an advertising standpoint, and they have their lobbying arms and they have their PR teams to really get that message out there. But the potential from SEO is 10 to 20 times that size. So that would be the biggest mistake people are making, which is they'll have these massive advertising budgets. You know, I worked with clients at tens of millions of dollars per month. And then when it comes to SEO, it's a complete afterthought, not realizing for the right businesses, and we'll, we'll get into it, there's some businesses that shouldn't be doing SEO, but for the businesses that could benefit from SEO, the potential from this is massive. There was a company I worked with where they generated $10 billion per year in revenue, and they just threw an assumption on the board that 20% of that revenue should come from SEO. That's $2 billion a year from SEO. Now, they also generated $5 billion from advertising. And in order to get that $5 billion from advertising, they needed to spend nearly $5 billion a year from advertising. So you think about like, you can't spend $2 billion per year on SEO, just absolutely impossible. There's no way to do it. You could replicate Wikipedia, maybe hire all those people to produce your own Wikipedia, but you can't. And like, I think that is the absolute biggest mistake people make, which is not recognizing the potential from this channel and how to optimize for the channel, not how to optimize SEO, but optimize for the channel with how you structure it, who you hire and how you invest into it. Sure. And for the benefit of our listeners, I want you to recognize that a lot of our listeners are people who are leading sales organizations, chief revenue officers, and the concept of SEO may be somewhat foreign. And I know we're going to get into product-led SEO, but as a general level, define SEO for people. And I also want to get into kind of the traps that people fall into because you write about in the book some of the old dark arts of SEO and things that people did that were wrong. So give us a broad view of SEO for people's benefit. Yeah. And I wrote the book for these executives, for chief revenue officers, for CEOs to really understand this channel. And you think about and like how I address the dark arts. So when it comes to agent, when it comes to advertising, you have these agencies, they come in with their suits and they make great presentations. And when they think of SEO, they think of like somebody in a basement, like hacking away at like Google algorithms. And like, that is not the way it should be at all. Really, this is a massive channel. And they should think about this as a massive channel and how you really structure it from, a, again, an organizational standpoint, who you hire into this and what's going to come from this channel. So for this executive, the way they should think about it is there are people that are looking for what you do, sell, or just offer if it's a, a media product. They're looking for that. 
Now, there are a variety of ways they're going to find you. You have your typical marketing channels, offline advertising. It could be TV, it could be radio, it could be billboards out of home. You also have your word of mouth, which hopefully all big businesses have. Then you have your advertising. And then there's the people that are further off from where you're advertising. So either up the funnel or down the funnel, but longer into the tail. That's SEO. Those are the people, and that's what we're doing all day. Whenever I run surveys on SEO, most people are doing tens to hundreds of searches per day and not clicking on ads. That's who you're going after. Now, provided you have an audience that is doing that, and again, there are businesses where that is not happening. If you have an audience that is doing that, that is what you want optimized to. So what is SEO in that framework? It's understanding this channel. It's understanding this user and building in optimization practices so you're best positioned for it. When it comes to any other channel, you don't just say, oh, I need to do advertising. I'm going to go and put an ad in the first magazine that comes my way or I'm going to advertise you know, with the first TV channel that asks me to advertise. You optimize towards that. You understand where your users are. You understand how much you should spend, what your message should be. And that is what SEO is. Understand what your website is, understand what your users are, and understand what search engines are looking for and optimize that effort. Got it. And one of the things that you mentioned in the book and that you give some examples of is old school SEO where people would just plaster certain words all over a page. So you'd read it and it looked like almost just like word salad on a page. So you go to someone's site and it's like just all these garbage words they're hoping to index for. There's a there's a buddy of mine who speaks about business trends. And for the longest time, I wrote for years, I had a column in Forbes and Inc. for years. And it would drive him nuts because he said, man, we spend a fortune trying to rank on business trends and you're always ranked number one. You're the widget that comes up when people search for it. How do you do that? I'm like, I just created content about, you know, I had an article every year that said top 10 business trends for whatever that year was. And it was real content that was the kind of stuff that people saw as, okay, that's a valuable product. That thing that you created is of interest to me. They shared it with a gazillion other people. And all of a sudden, the Google algorithm and their system said, wow, this is something people seem to find valuable. So it moved up in the ranking as opposed to old school where people would try and game the system and all this gibberish with keywords. So can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that a lot of people have this idea of SEO of just throwing a bunch of keywords out there. And I think that in the book, you do a masterful job of explaining that it just doesn't work that way. It used to work like that. There were immature algorithms and that's what they did. So when search first started, it was before Google, you had search engines that did their best to really crawl the web and extrapolate the most important parts of a web page by looking at keywords. And then by matching the keywords, people searched. And it was almost as if I searched that word business trends, you had the word business trends on the page, and then you matched it. And it was almost like a phone book. You're looking for, you know, Acme towing. It was under letter A and then you just found it. So that was sort of match. And those are the early search engines. Google innovated on that in early, early Google days, you know, even when it was still a university project, PhD project from the founders, where they tried to understand who linked to each website to generate an authority score. They called it PageRank. So what they were doing was they were saying it's not just about the words on the page, but it's also the level of authority that the page has. So we're not going to rank it alphabetically. We're actually going to try to determine if it's relevant. And that was massively successful because the results that people saw when they did searches on Google became good enough that more people did searches on Google and they stopped using Yahoo and Excite and all those other search engines that are out there that no longer exist. So we're many years past that. We're two decades past that. And Google has so much AI going into each search 
So much to the point where you can completely mess up a query. One of the queries I really like sharing with folks is if you do a query, we all know the movie Legally Blonde. It's a blonde woman who went to Harvard. But if you mess that up and you change it to brunette that went to Yale movie, you're still going to get Legally Blonde as a first result. Because that's very, very simple AI. But there's a lot that's going into trying to understand what the user is searching and what the websites that are creating content want to say. Now, you don't even need to have the exact words anymore. You don't need to say business trends to rank on business trends. If Bloomberg, for example, which is an authority in business, would forget to use the word trends, but they had a trends post or a trends article that, didn't, again, didn't use the word trends, they could still be visible even at number one for that term when people search for it because Google is using all their AI and all their measurement of relevance to determine that's probably something the user wants and they're building that for the user. So we're so far past that where you can just take best practices and spam it on a page and throw words in, you know, even buying links. Obviously, when Google came up with this concept of links matter, instantly you created markets of like, oh, you want links? I can give you links. And even authoritative websites, you know, New York Times, I believe, was involved and there was ways to get links from them. And then Google said, well, you know, we can also figure out if those links belong. So then it nuked that entire business. Of course, it still exists, but so much harder than it used to be. I get pitched all the time from people saying, oh, I'd love to create content from your site and we just want to link. It's like, no, no. And I wonder who falls for that. But it's fascinating that there's still people trying to do the same sort of thing. One of the things that you also talk about in product-led SEO is this idea of what these search engines are trying to do. Because I think that sometimes it's lost on people that the search engine is trying to help the user find the best, most relevant piece of content that relates to their query. So they're not trying to say, oh, who can we favor in this area and that area? Yeah, there are the ads that we've all been taught to ignore. But beyond that, it's a matter of they're trying to deliver the best answer to the question, because if they don't, people start looking for other search engines. If they deliver the right answer and people say, wow, almost every time I get the right answer sub second, they use that more often. So what can people learn from that dynamic? I think that's a really important thing to really remember which is when there are algorithm updates and they're less frequent now where the entire web is kind of turned upside down. There have been times where Google did an algorithm update and it would impact 10, 20% of all results. And every time that happened, the websites would complain and say, how dare they? And they ruined our businesses and we fired employees and they would complain to the media. But that comes down to a lack of understanding of what Google's motivations are. Google is a for-profit public company, which has fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders to do the best for their shareholders to make money. They're not a nonprofit and they're not a do-good company. I mean, they say they are, but really they have fiduciary responsibilities to their shareholders. And what that means is they need to provide the best results for the users. So the users do conduct as many searches as possible. And the more searches they conduct, the higher likelihood of them clicking on ads, which is the only way Google generates revenue from search. So that's what users need. That's what websites need to remember, which is Google's not in the business of sending free traffic. Google is in the business of selling ads and the free traffic the organic results are what justifies the existence of the advertising. We can look at any of the businesses that overdid it. You know, there was a time where you could buy results on Yahoo. <laughs> Yahoo is not powered by Yahoo anymore. And you had other businesses where you could buy any sort of result or they didn't have good enough algorithms and none of those businesses exist. Google's the only one that really is still around. Even websites, even search engines like DuckDuckGo, which again, claim to have more of a human-centric approach and a do-good approach by blocking data and protecting privacy, they also have fiduciary responsibility, not to the public. They're not a public company, but they have investors and they're trying to sell advertising just the same, just without data. 
Sure. So I want to dive into this notion of product-led SEO, because there are a lot of similarities between that and content marketing, but you also make some clear distinctions. So help people understand a little bit about what product-led SEO is all about and how people should think differently about SEO than maybe they would without product-led SEO. If you want to get top results for your team, take a look at the Same Side Selling Academy. Just visit samesideselling.com to learn more. So now that we framed it of what SEO is, and it's really about optimizing for that user and understanding the user, now we can understand how product-led SEO differs from content marketing. So content marketing should be done regardless of whether there is a search user and regardless of whether there is any SEO potential. Content marketing is just writing content for marketing purposes. So you can write a great article which will help you sell, which you can distribute via email, you can distribute via social media, you can distribute on your website when people organically arrive at your website because you have some sort of large brand. And it's very possible that same article will never surface in search and that's fine. You should create the content regardless. What product-led SEO does is it elevates the effort and says, there's a number of people that are looking for this kind of thing. So therefore, I'm going to turn it into a product. An example of a product is, like we said earlier, Wikipedia is a product. Wikipedia is an encyclopedia product. Now, you could say, oh, Wikipedia could also be a blog and it could be in chronological order, but that's not a real product. That's a blog. So Wikipedia did is they built a structure for the SEO user, which is different than Britannica's physical books. And that's the Wikipedia encyclopedia product. The example I talked about in my book a lot, which is one of my favorite examples of product-led SEO, is Zillow. So Zillow, in their initial founding, understood that there are people that are looking for data about homes they can't find easily. You can go to courthouses, you can search the courthouse online, but there was no real product structured way to look at 124 Main Street and so on. In any city, in any town, in any house, in any, even every condo within every single building. So they built a product around that for that search user who was looking for it. And as they made those decisions, it was around a search user because that is the only way they're going to drive traffic to specific addresses. You're not going to run advertising of, oh, someone searched 123 Main Street. Let me just dynamically match an ad to it because likely they're looking for directions on Google Maps. So the only, or the, and these are on homes that are not for sale. If the homes are for sale, you can have a different model where you can run advertising on it. But if they're not for sale and you're generating all this traffic, the only user is that search user. So as they built this product around home valuations, it was with the search user in mind. Yeah. And I love that because it illustrates that you're providing value that's getting people to their site, creating their brand recognition, getting their traffic, getting people who are using their platform. And now all of a sudden someone says, oh, yeah, well, I want to update my listing on Zillow. And now it becomes the standard that everyone uses. We have in our neighborhood, there was a house that just sold like a block and a half away. And my wife says, well, I wonder what it sold for. And in the past, we might have gone to another site. And she said, oh, let me just go to Zillow and look it up. And it's just the perfect example of it. Where do you think things like podcasts fit into that level? And I recognize there's a difference between people who create a podcast that's all about selling their stuff versus creating a podcast that's serving an audience. But where do you see that fitting in this type of product-led SEO? So I said I was going to talk about examples of companies that should not be doing SEO. So podcasts are probably ones that should not be doing SEO in this sense. So you should optimize your podcast page. If you have your own website where you put your podcast, you should obviously optimize it. But you're optimizing for some very basic things. You're optimizing for your name. You're optimizing for the name of the podcast and maybe some of the topics you talk about. But it's not going to be a daily SEO task. 
So when it's not a daily SEO test because the size of users that are looking for podcasts via SEO is not large, then you're not going to hire someone full-time. You're not going to even hire someone part-time. You're not going to hire an agency. Again, you're going to follow best practices, which are put your name in there, of course, and put the things that you want to be found. Maybe do some link building, but you're not doing deliberate link building. You're doing PR. You're reaching out to people and saying, hey, here's a podcast on business. You list podcasts on businesses. Would you be open to linking and referencing my podcast? That's a link, but that's also traffic. That's relevant. I would not go and have someone put a guest post on some horrible website that exists just for guest posts where there's an article about your podcast, as well as an article about pet insurance, and as well as an article about some new crypto coin. That is not link building. Google can see right through that. So that's a place I would not do SEO. Another place I would not do SEO is small businesses, small service businesses. A barber should not do SEO. When you're looking for a barber shop, you don't want to read long articles about how they cut hair. The barber should spend more of their time and their money on making the store look better and making uh, having a better experience, have better tools of the trade. A mover should not do SEO because there's not much they can put on there. That's not how people make decisions of like, oh, here's a great picture of the truck. Now I really want to use this company. Plumbers should not do SEO. You know, you have plumbers who fall into this SEO trap and they put up articles of how to change your toilet. If a plumber is in Dallas, how does telling someone in LA how to change a toilet help drive business in Dallas? So I I think it really matters. And you have, again, smaller businesses which serve smaller markets should not focus on SEO at all. Another place I don't think people should invest a significant amount in SEO is in larger B2B businesses which have long sales cycles. So for example, say someone sells an analytics product and it's an analytics product that is not innovative and competes with existing analytics products. So you have an IT buyer that Googles it and finds an analytics product, but it takes six months in order to decide to buy that product. Within those six months, they are guaranteed going to see all the competition. The SEO effort and the SEO investment is going to end up doing very little for that final sale. Not from an attribution standpoint. I'm saying just from a buyer's journey, it matters very little. So I wouldn't spend a lot of money in SEO. Again, optimize for the name. If there is content, obviously optimize that content, but I wouldn't invest in it. Yeah. And so what are the key things? Keep in mind, most of our audience is in the B2B space. They're mostly mid to larger size B2B companies. What are two or three things that people should do right away that says, okay, if you're trying to get into this product-led SEO world, here are two or three things you should think about right now that can actually help move the needle in the coming six to 12 months. So the very first thing anyone should do is really understand who the search user is. And, you know, it's kind of a dirty word when it comes to marketing this persona, right? So you come up with your marketing persona. And the reason it's a dirty word is because you have agencies and I've been victimized by this. You have agencies that sell these personas and then you put them up on the wall at the office and then no one ever does anything with them again. You know, you have your office hero who's like, oh, we have this persona, Michelle. And they're always trying to interject Michelle. Oh yeah, this is for Michelle. And everyone's like, who the hell is Michelle? So I don't think of personas like that. I just think of, take a few minutes to really understand, is there someone searching for your B2B product? Again, I made a blanket statement about SEO doesn't fit with B2B, but it really depends. It depends if there is a B2B buyer that is using Google that is likely going to convert. I spent a number of years at SurveyMonkey leading their SEO. That's a B2B product, but SEO was a huge driver. Two thirds of the global revenue came from SEO. And the reason why is because despite it being B2B, the, the buyer behaved like a consumer. They searched for a solution. They found the solution. They pulled out their credit card and they bought it. That's it. If it's something where, again, long sales cycles, you need a lot of information, you need to, if it's innovative, 
innovations are very hard to sell with SEO because you find it accidentally, but you're not there yet. You really need to be educated on that process. Again, if SEO can educate, great. If it can't, then they're going to talk to a salesperson. They're going to attend a webinar. They're going to do a lot of things to inform themselves. So that's the first thing B2B should do is understand if there's a buyer, who that buyer is, how they behave, and how you can market to them. The second thing B2B should do is really understand what their website is doing and how it's positioned because there are basic best practices you can do around SEO. Again, make sure that your name is right there on the titles. Make sure your pages are visible to search. The technology you've used to create your website is visible to search. And then the third and final thing, and this is for companies that are not necessarily going to focus on SEO, do some PR. So really get people talking about the product. And if it's innovation, have other people talk about innovation so it becomes less innovative and more familiar with people. And those are the links. And that will help you slowly start to rise in search. Now, if what you're doing doesn't fit for SEO and you have an SEO agency, fire that SEO agency and take that money and put it into paid advertising. Now, if what you're doing does fit for SEO, now you want to understand if there's a product-led SEO agent angle here, which means you've understood your persona. Is there multiple personas? Is this persona looking for multiple aspects of what you do? Again, not a great example because SurveyMonkey isn't the best example of product-led SEO. But from a SurveyMonkey standpoint, the product-led SEO thing we did was create survey templates. So I might have a business buyer who's looking for customer satisfaction of their customers but there are multiple ways they can cut that. Is it customer satisfaction for software? Is it customer satisfaction for hardware? So that becomes templates that they look for. And now we have different ways of finding them. And that's product-led SEO, which is really taking that same effort, multiplying into an actual product, which for us was thousands and thousands of templates. Again, the reason I said it's not a great example is because the universe of that product was just not large enough. So for companies that product-led SEO will fit for, the personas and the research you do to understand your users that will help identify the product you could build. I'm curious your thought on this. So there's research I've done with over 10,000 executives on how people make and approve decisions. And one of the first questions that people ask is, whenever I give people a scenario that says, okay, someone on your team comes to you and says, I got to buy this thing. It costs $20,000, takes 45 days to implement, no resources on our part. What are the three questions you'd have to ask to be comfortable making an informed decision to approve or deny that request? And the questions come up as the first one is, what problem does this solve? And I don't even want to get into the other ones because that notion of what problem does it solve is something that we often tell people, look, you want to focus on what are the problems that people are facing? So if you wrote an article that said, here's why our software is so great, no one's going to care. No one's going to read that. If you said, here are the biggest challenges, like you mentioned, analytics software. Here are the biggest challenges in implementing analytics in your business. Someone who's contemplating buying it that's probably going to pique their interest. And if you start indexing on that, then all of a sudden people say, well, all the people who are giving guidance on how to do this properly, it happens to be this one company. And now you start building an impression there. And all of a sudden you're indexing for people who are trying to solve that. So what's right about that? What's wrong about that? Yeah, it really goes into should you be doing SEO or not? Because I find that people want to check the box. They're like new CMOs and new CEOs are like, okay, we've got this. We've got an agency here. This is a glaring gap right here. We just don't have anybody doing SEO. And I think that's the question. Should you be doing SEO? Does it solve a problem? Is there even a user there? And you know, I can't believe I didn't think about this earlier when we're talking about B2B. So many B2B businesses have seeded all their SEO over the two directories like G2 and Captera. And those are products. That's product-led SEO. And I had the fortune of consulting for G2 a number of years ago. 
they built a product around other people's B2B products, and now they own the search landscape on it. So when you search for CRM software, you're finding G2. When you search for the names of CRM software, you're finding G2. Now, that is product-led SEO. They're, they're scaling it. They understood the user. They're understanding what they want. And I think the worst thing of it is companies are doing a great job of building their own brand. And then it is G2 that is ranking on that brand and it is G2 that is choosing to either sell it back to them on a per-click model or you search for a specific name of a product or a B2B product and then they direct you into your competitor. So just think what would happen if people had not embraced that model and tried to build their own brand SEO and been able to keep G2 from taking over their brand. So G2 is a very successful product, but I wouldn't embrace that. I wouldn't be proud of the fact that G2 is owning my own brand. Yeah, got it. So the book is Product-Led SEO. I think you can cover some really clever concepts and really help demystify some of this area of SEO. Eli, what's the best way for people to learn more about you, connect with you, and follow what you're doing? Yeah, find me on LinkedIn. Just search Eli Schwartz and I accept all connections and always appreciate meeting new people. You can check out my website, elishwartz.co, or the website of the book, Product-Led SEO. And of course, buy the book. Book's on Amazon. It's on Audible. It's on Barnes & Noble. It's on Target. Walmart, wherever you buy books. (laughs) (laughs) Wherever books are sold or pirated, apparently, I think is also the common thing that we stumble across for our books from time to time. So Eli, thanks for sharing your wisdom. And I hope people got a lot out of this. Thanks very much. I enjoy being here. Thank you for having me in. Sure. 